Welcome to Strictly Money. I'm your host, Sajal Patel. Hi, everyone. So we are just a month away from wrapping up 2023. And given the market uncertainty and geopolitical uncertainty, a lot of investors have been holding their breath, hoping that 2024 will go smoother. But that term recession is still lingering. Are we going to have one or are better days ahead? My guest for today's show is Philip Peterson. He's a chief investment strategist at IG Wealth Management, and him and his team have put out a 2024 outlook report. He's made some interesting calls, and we are going to discuss that right now. So, Philip, thanks so much for coming on Strictly Money. You can see uh, we have a, a new setup here. Always appreciate your time. Well, great pleasure to be here, Sajil, and I love the new setup. <laughs> thanks so much. Okay, so, Philip, I read your 2024 outlook, and uh, the title alone made me pause. Are we headed into a recession or recovery? Why not both? What do you mean? Well, it really depends on where you stand and and where you determine that whether we're in a recession or not. And so what I mean by that is when we look at the environment that we're moving into in 2024, in certain areas of the global economy, it's improving and much improved from where we were in 2023 or at the, at, you know, when we were thinking about our 2023 outlook. For example, a year ago in the United States, we could see recessionary pressures build and it did raise the probability of recession for, in our view, you know, the back half of 2023. And yet we've come through a lot of that. And so when we talk about, you know, the potential for a recession, we also use the term rolling recession. And what we mean there is you get elements of a recession, but not all at once. Now, typically when you get a recession, things kind of happen all at the same time or within a very tight time frame that leads to that much weaker economic activity or contraction in outright economic activity. In this case, we've seen a recession in manufacturing in the United States, and we're coming through the manufacturing recession in Europe out the other side. We've seen the earnings recession on the S&P 500. We've seen the housing recession. What has been the missing element is labor. Normally, what comes through all of these weaker consequences is higher unemployment. But we haven't had that. Uh, and that's also part of our outlook is that the reason why we haven't had that is because we have more boomers retiring now than the younger generation coming into the workforce. So think about if there's 10 people in the labor force, four retiring, two are coming in. So we're missing that additional you know, two workers. And so employers are competing to hold on to these employees for fear that if they let them go, they might not be able to get them back. And that's what's resulting in in this, you know, some areas, you know, we're not seeing really a recession. In other areas, it's perhaps a little bit weaker. Yeah. And I should remind viewers that you and I spoke about the 2023 outlook last year, and, and you predicted that we may see a recession, but uh, that it wouldn't be so deep. So, so good call there. Philip, I want to go back to this whole concept, I guess, around recession, because no one likes a recession. Let, let's be honest, right? It, it's painful, and especially for for some more than others. At the same time, it is an opportunity to improve, get rid of the slack and that sort of thing. Do you think that policymakers 
do too much? Do they interfere too much because they don't want that pain? And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's happened, but I'm just wondering if you saw anything in terms of government policy or economic policy that you would have done differently. It's a great question. And I think when we consider the United States and what's gone on in the United States over the last year, you had competing forces. You had the Federal Reserve that was trying to, well, keep inflation low or get inflation as low as, as they could. And at the same time, time, you had the federal government that was issuing trillions of dollars in new fiscal spending that largely you can argue whether you know it was necessary or not. So you can see entities that are controlling either fiscal policy or monetary policy sometimes go too far uh, for what they believe are the right reasons, but it can create bigger problems down the road. And we even heard Tiff Macklem, governor of the Bank of Canada, here say the exact same thing, not so many words, but yes, the Bank of Canada is trying to fight inflation, you had the federal government that was increasing spending and almost contributing to inflation. So yes, I would say to answer your question, entities can go too far without intending it. And they're not trying. I don't think the Bank of Canada was trying to engineer a recession, but that can be the unintended consequence of their actions. What do you think, Philip, went right? in 2023? Because you wrote in in the paper that you did see a lot of sort of peaks and troughs, but yet we, we still avoided this sort of doom and gloom. Yeah, what went right was, I would say that, and I'll give credit to, I think, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada here, is that somewhat they were able to engineer a soft landing. Um, now, I think you know, how much of that is by accident because of the, the labor demographics or by design in that, hey, let's raise rates rapidly that because we believe the economy can absorb that, then we will look to cut. So I would think that largely is what has gone right this past year. And otherwise, when we look at the market environment, we we were thinking a year ago that we were going to see in 2023, a little bit more of a mediocre equity return environment. And that's what we got. I mean, you have to exclude the Magnificent Seven, these seven large mega cap companies in the United States that drove the majority of gains on the S&P 500. You strip that out and the S&P 500 was rather lackluster in its return. And that's that wasn't a surprise to us because we could see some of those pressures come that lead to softer markets. So now when we look to our 2024 outlook and we think, okay, well, what could go right? Well, we can see a turn in earnings growth. Things can actually improve at a time when valuation across many indices are very attractive. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, first of all, it looks like inflation has eased. So that's certainly, uh, I think, provides a, a tailwind for the markets. Do you think the worst in terms of inflation is over and that's what's going to fuel some of the economic growth? Absolutely. I think inflation largely from what we saw a year ago or, or two years ago is done. We are not going to return to six, eight, nine percent inflation in Canada or the United States or many areas around the world simply because we're not seeing the injection of um, money supply that drove inflation in our view. We can argue whether it was supply chain. I think you know supply chains might have had a little bit to do with it, but the majority of the inflation came as a result of the money supply growth rate, and that has subsided around the world. So we're done with inflation, which means we're also done with the interest rate increases. You pointed in, in the report, Philip, that um, Canada's economy, though, is weaker than the US. Why is that? What's behind this? Is it? I, I know we talk a lot about housing being a big factor. Although I try to point out that um, higher mortgage rates only affect us, frankly, as a small group, because a lot of Canadians have paid off their mortgage. True, but it's it's always that marginal buyer. 
right? And, and so that's how we think about it. So Canada has seen a greater softening of its economy. Our economy, I would argue, is in recession right now. We're, we're going to get GDP for third quarter. And I think it will show that we're on the verge, if not already in a recession uh, in Canada. And the reason being is that, yes, not everyone has a mortgage, but those that do or, or individuals that pay rent are impacted the same way. And that mortgage costs have gone up substantially. Anyone renewing a mortgage today is seeing the, uh, on a five-year rate, is seeing the change in the interest costs upwards of 50% versus the expiring mortgage. Now that money has to come from somewhere. And so that comes out of consumption or it results in higher rents being asked by owners to their renters. And so this is resulting in a shift from spending on you know, services or goods to spending on our mortgage. And that's what has resulted in a weaker economy here than say in the United States where they have a 15 or 30 year fixed rate mortgage or France where they have a 10 or 20 year fixed rate mortgage. We are far more sensitive to a change in interest rates than other areas around the world. And, and we're also not as diversified as the US, are we? No, exactly. Housing is a disproportionate uh, weight in our GDP than what it is in the United States. And when you think about it, you know, I think construction and, and housing, if you lump it all together, it's the largest segment of our economy. And when that slows down, and we've seen you know, activity slow down here, whether it's sales or whether it's construction, um, that slows the economy down. Okay, Phil, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Are you looking to enhance the level of cash flow from your investments? BMO ETFs has you covered with their Covered Call ETFs. These ETFs generate cash flow from two sources, the dividend yield from the underlying securities and the premium generated from selling the call options. BMO Covered Call ETFs strike a balance between generating cash flow and participating in the growth of rising markets with your experienced portfolio management team and effective strategy with over 10 years of history. BMO ETFs is the largest covered call ETF provider in Canada, covering 13 covered call ETFs across a range of strategies across regions, countries, and sectors. Visit BMOETFs.com to learn more. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Welcome back. I'm here with Philip Peterson of IG Wealth Management. Um, Philip, I want to get your thoughts on the fall economic update that was released, obviously, here in Canada. Anything that stood out to you that you think actually helps Canadians and, and alleviate some of their concerns when it comes to unaffordability? Great question. Um, I would say what stood out was the fact that the government is trying to help in terms of housing affordability or, or just the availability of housing, which we know vis-a-vis -vis the immigration policy that we just don't have enough homes. You know, we don't have, have enough places to support the population growth numbers that are being projected. Does it help though? And that's the question. If you look at the program and programs that were uh, announced during the fall update, you know, they're very long dated. We're in 2023 right now, and some of these programs you know, are spread out between now and 2028. Well, we're going to have an election between now and then, and so we'll see what actually transpires. But the problem is today, and, and yes, it's a problem for the future, but you know, when you look at it, 
it's a small drop in a big bucket in terms of, of the issues that we are faced with. And I'd say the other thing that I, I'm noticing, Philip, is just a lot of criticism around their spending. You know, um, the Liberal government does get a lot of criticism and, and people want them to rein in spending. Does that concern you? It does. Uh, it concerns us in Canada. It concerns us in the United States as well. At a time when you know, governments should be more focused on helping the central banks in terms of fighting inflation, what they've been doing is the opposite and, and just pumping more money out there in terms of spending programs. It's a near-term challenge in terms of it contributes to inflation, but it's a longer-term challenge in that, look, we know, especially in this country you know, back in the late 80s and early 90s, when you run into too much debt, then the rest of the world and certainly your your lenders demand austerity. And so I think there's been, you know, if you look at it, a little too much spending that's gone on post-COVID. During COVID, it was absolutely necessary in order to maintain an economy and, and avoid what could have been a very, very bad re recession or depression. But once we got out of it, and once things opened up and got back to normal, well, government spending should have got back to normal too. All right, let's uh, let's talk about markets valuations. Where where are you seeing opportunities? And maybe maybe we start with Canada first. Yeah, it's it's very attractive in Canada. When we look at valuations, the way that we look at it is not only based on the history of the market itself. So that, let's look at the TSX and where is the TSX trading on a price to earnings or price to book value basis relative to we like the last twenty years. Uh, you can go beyond that, but the last twenty years is. is is a good snapshot. Well, we're at the lower end of the 20-year range. And this is similar to what we see in Europe. Europe's in the lower end of its 20-year range. Emerging markets are the same thing. The US is in the top half of its 20-year range, just going around the world here. But what's interesting is if you strip out the Magnificent Seven, now valuation for the other 490 plus is extremely attractive. And so valuation across the markets is better than we've seen in, in quite some time. And, and that set up, sets up for an attractive market. Now, valuation is a terrible short-term indicator of market performance, but it does suggest that the next, say, you know, one to five years plus should be better for the markets than what we've seen over the last, say, two years. Yeah. So you point out something actually really interesting, but it's terrible, you know, in terms of short-term and, and investors need to look at this from a, a long-term or a longer-term perspective. Does that mean that investors should be looking at growth stocks? Like, it, I guess my question is, is it harder to pick deep discounted value stocks right now then? My challenge has been I've never found a good way or any signals out there that says now is a good opportunity for growth or now is a good opportunity for value. So I think a better approach to it is we always want companies that have the ability to grow you know, organically or through acquisition, and you want to pay a reasonable price for it. That doesn't mean that stocks have to be deeply discounted. Sometimes it's okay to pay fair value for a stock that's growing. So it's a combination of the two that I think uh, yeah, is better approach as opposed to just trying to bifurcate the market and say, nope, it's only growth now or only value now. AI was, uh, was a huge theme in 2023, and, and I think it's probably going to continue in, in 2024. Do you think that's going to give the markets or at least certain sectors of the market some tailwind? It has, if you look at the chip makers and in particular NVIDIA. But um, yes, I think that the, the tricky thing is AI is a concept right now that I think a lot of companies can jump on and saying, hey, can we improve our operations? Can we improve our margins? Can we streamline things? Or where can we use 
the potential power of AI to improve our business. And, and I think down the road, it is going to be uh, continue to be a theme that will add in terms of productivity, add in terms of, of uh, margin expansion, what that looks like today, we're all trying to figure it out. But it's a theme, I think it's a longer term theme that will be profitable for many companies. We know um, geopolitical uncertainty has um, certainly been a factor. Is there anything that you're paying attention to that could dampen market sentiment? We often say that, look, geopolitics will always be with us in one form or another. What we need to do is really uh, take an analytical approach, leave the emotions aside and look at the true impact of any geopolitical event on the profitability of companies and their ability to continue to function. And while some of the events can trigger emotions because we're close to it in one way or another, we make the mistake as investors often saying, this is gonna be bad for my portfolio or good for my portfolio, where most of the time it's irrelevant to our portfolios. So I think we have to be a little bit more calculating with respect to the geopolitical events. And 2024 is gonna be one in particular because we're running into another US presidential election. And judging by the early leaders for the nomination on both parties, it could be quite contentious. So we'll see. But while it will create a lot of emotions, it doesn't often lead to any type of investment decision. And when investors do jump to a conclusion of saying, well, candidate A is going to be bad for the market, so I'm going to sell because of how we feel about that candidate, that often leads to mistakes. Philip, we're uh, we're coming to the end of the show. And I want to end with a point that you make in the report, because I think it's really important. You know, you talk about geopolitics, um, recession fears and volatility. And you said that it's tested investors resolve, which I completely agree. And I thought what was really interesting about this was you said that there's so many investors who thought that this time would be different. But you found that overall, the volatility, even though it's been uncomfortable, has been pretty much in the norm. What would be your advice to investors? Because I think part of the reason for that is because we do tend to look at the negative headlines that sometimes, you know, media puts out more than some of the positive ones. Yeah. And I used a phrase in there, sometimes we can't see the trees through the forest. And what I meant by that is right now, some of the messages that are out there, there's some talking heads, let's say, that are just pounding the table on recession, not necessarily because you can actually prove it. It's just because they, you know, individuals want to make a name for themselves by calling a recession. It doesn't mean that we'll have one. And it doesn't mean that we need to ignore the, the factors out there, but we're actually seeing you know, more positives in the global economy. And, you know, the individual trees, the small stuff that is suggesting that the outlook is actually improving. And so we often say to investors, you know, we really do need to understand where we are in terms of the business cycle, economic cycle, market cycle, and so on, and shift the portfolios to that better relative opportunity. And in this environment, you know, things are getting better. And so despite all the noise, despite all the fears, you know, we have to do ourselves a favor, put the emotions aside and focus on the fundamentals and the fundamentals are creating opportunities for us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Philip, okay, before I let you go, one of the reasons that I, I started Strictly Money was really to make financial wellness um, viral and to make it more accessible to people. So I know you don't know about this. So this is a little surprise that I, I, I do with my guests. We're going to do a, a quick three question rapid fire round. Really easy questions. So you're ready for this? Yes. Okay. So the first question, what's the best financial advice you've received? 
work with a planner. I, I think it's, it's very important to work with a planner because they know far more about uh, constructing a financial plan, considering taxation, insurance, and all the rest of it than I could ever. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and also because, you know, we're all busy people. So sometimes, you know, I try to give this message to um, certainly a lot of people that I work with that it's okay to delegate. So yeah, that's a good one. What is the worst financial advice then that you've received? Oh, any odd buy recommendation that I've heard from, from when, when any, anytime one of my friends call me and, and says, oh, I recently bought this. Not that they're saying it's, it's uh, advice, but it tends to be a bit of a brag and it's usually the wrong decision. So, you know, never take stock tip advice from friends or family. That's a really good one. Okay, last one. If you could wave your magic wand and if there was uh, an economic or government policy that you can enact that would help people with their financial health, what would it be? Oh, that's a great one. Well, I'll put it this way. You know what? I think we talk about income splitting for seniors. I think it should be income splitting for households. Ah, that's a good one. Why do you say that? You know, oddly, I think, you know, what we have in this country is a bit of a marriage tax, you know, to be honest with you, you know, if you individuals that that for whatever one reason or another that separate and all of a sudden split their income, they're in a better tax position than a couple that you know are married and, and one uh, spouse earns more than the other. And that creates, you know, basically that couple is paying more in taxes than the other couple that has separated. And so there's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's almost uh, an unfair allotment of taxation in this country. Wow, I wouldn't have thought of that one. That's a good one. Great insight. All right, Phil, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it today. Sajil, thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Philip Peterson of IG Wealth Management. Well, that wraps up this edition of Strictly Money. Please do me a favor. And if you like what you're seeing, go to YouTube and subscribe. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. My mission is to make financial wellness go viral. Our prosperity depends on it. And I think our economic prosperity depends on it. And I would love your support. We'll see you back here next week. Until then, stay well, stay wise, and stay wealthy.